Today, we speak with the head of a boutique marketing and media firm about what it takes to stand out in a TikTok world. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt. Yes, Nate. Are you um, right-brained or left-brained? Do you know know the differentiation on this? I do. Now, I will start off with the caveat that supposedly science has come out and said that there is no such thing as left and right-brained people. Well, On the other hand, (laughs) (laughs) that being said, that would be what a left-brained person would say. They're analytical and methodical, (laughs) like my lovely wife. Oh. And then there are... The people like me who are right-brained and, you know, creative and artistic. At least that's the nice things we tell say about our, our, our tendency to be agents of chaos. But <laughs> I definitely re- lean towards the right brain. Okay. So my wife and I balance each other And that very makes sense. Well. That makes sense in the in the work that you do and how, how you are able to write and, and tell stories and, and, you know, and be creative in that space. So that makes sense. And yet it... Ask anyone who's ever worked with me. My desk is a nightmare. And your desk is a nightmare. And that's okay. There's there's help for that. It's okay. That's fine. How about you? I'm uh, well, I'm I'm uh, yeah. Um <laughs> So, you you so, kind of have a nice balance well, brain, That's right? what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. I think in some spaces, I am very, very left brain. Like when I, in terms of like with my clients and, and being, you know, talking business and, and operations and methods and, and steps and SOPs and all that, I tend to be very like, these are valuable things to have and you should oh, do this. I have seen the left brain in action. You are uber organized, my friend. Right, exactly, exactly. And that just, that's that. But at the same time, Outlets like this, like I love to be creative with stuff like this and just have a little fun. And and yeah, so I think it is definitely kind of middle of the road or situational, you know, and, and I'm able to kind of turn on one and turn down the other or whatever it is. So um, serves me well, I, know, I guess, for now. But um, I see, but I see some, you know, I see a little bit of the 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 left in you in the sense, not like How you're, dare you're you, not sir. your desk necessarily, <laughs> but you um you are very just in the well in your work with the magazine and like and and how things are structured and how you, do, you know, I and am, like maybe that's just from the years that you've been doing it. It's but. more, of, I am very lucky to have been surrounded by a lot of left brain people. So you picked up some habits and, and they have corralled me. And so I picked up some, some good habits from them <laughs> and, and it's come at a cost of their sanity, but I have learned it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, another good rabbit hole here on BizCast. As usual, um, our guest this week is Chad Fillion, owner and founder of Lancaster, New Hampshire-based Flume Media. Flume is a full-service creative agency originally founded in 2005. Their team specializes in video production, live streaming, web development, social management, and digital design. Chad's entrenched in his local community, supporting local nonprofits through the Flume business model and creating products and services to help grow local economies. Outside of Flume, Chad is a volunteer, board member, advocate, father, husband, mentor, sponsor, teacher, student, activist, and as he says, all around feel good kind of guy. 
It's got a few things going on, Chad. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, First, I just opened the bag and we'll let the cat out. Um, You and I know each other. We are friends and colleagues, um, and I'm thankful for that. I'm also really thankful that you're here to tell your story because I think it's, uh, there's a lot to it and you're doing some great stuff. So thanks for joining us. To to encompass it all, we'd need three episodes, but we'll truncate right right down part one, right? (laughs) No. Um, So in your intro, I mentioned that Flume was originally founded in 2005. Mm -hmm. I said that because I'd love for you not only to tell our listeners what Flume is and does, but perhaps more about that entrepreneurial journey you've taken and how you took Flume from an artist management focus to a creative firm with now a number of employees. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Well, first off, the the Flume name was made up, has nothing to do with the Flume Gorge up in northern New Hampshire. Yeah, it's a PH, not an F anyways, right? It goes back to the the 90s heydays of being in a, a a band in bars ah, <laughs> in our love for, yeah. for fish and the live jam scene. But uh, cool. it was just a nonsensical word that we threw together. And that was part of the name of the band. All of it's on the site for the history. But in 2005, after coming back from college, I landed back in the seacoast. And I realized that there was this desire, that left-brained part of me uh-huh. wanted to handle the management and the marketing and assisting of the local bands. Yeah. And it, it like it fed the right side of brain to be able to complete all of these marketing and stuff. And so there was this like growth opportunity for me to really shine with helping these bands and helping them move along, come out of the garage and into the stages of, you know, the Seacoast region in Boston. Mm. And, uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But eventually as life moves on, we move on with what we do. And I found myself in... Franconia, New Hampshire, as a web developer for a a company up there. And that that need, that thirst to start to grow and beyond was still itching at me. So working at a desk at a corporate environment, it just wasn't fulfilling. So as I continued to branch out, I tried new things. I I sampled getting into education and helping out with that. But Mm -hmm. it just, nothing really was fitting. And I needed that thirst for that self-expression. And in 2017... That's when I reestablished Flume as Flume Media, coming out of that Flume Artist Management, Mm -hmm. but really kind of focusing on that core undergraduate study of video production and really pushing the envelope with that. And that brings us to the current phase of what we're doing here. Yeah. So, so for the last so what five are you years, doing now? <laughs> uh, actually, thanks to the pandemic and everything with that, we uh, really expanded quite large on our live streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody had nothing to do except watch stuff. And thankfully, we had all the equipment and growth and opportunity to start doing live streaming. So that was a kind of a boon for us. And thankfully, because it filled in where nobody had any money or desire to do anything for web development mm-hmm. or product development or any any of the, the marketing. Those that other was marketing done. pieces, yeah. yeah. So when you say live streaming, what does that encompass? What kind of stuff are you live streaming? Well, for the live streaming, we've got a lot of band coverage that we've done with the local band, uh, local bar. And we've also done some stuff with the high school sports. So, Chad, I understand that um, your firm... You've done everything from videotaping, doing live stream of bands and bars to local high school games and productions, nonprofit meetings. You kind of run the gambit. So I'm curious, what did it take to grow this business in the White Mountains? Because it's not the type of business people automatically relate to that. You hear White Mountains, you hear you think tourism, you know, there's this prejudice against it, but there's actually a rich economy up there. Um, so what did it take to, to 
establish yourself and to build the business to where it is today? That's a really good question. Um, we continue to do it today, and that's just hitting the ground and being in front of as many people as we can, oftentimes at a loss to be there to assist and help um, covering nonprofits and just saying, okay, well, this is the, the bare bone price, knowing that we can cover our operations. But it's about putting our name in front of people as often as possible. And we found the more we've done that to support the community, the more the community just in turn naturally and organically have come back to us to ask for more. There was a lot of opportunities with live streaming. Um, the last thing I ever want to do is capitalize on somebody's loss. That's just heartbreak, you know. But during the pandemic, people couldn't travel to loved ones' funerals. So we had a number of churches that would reach out to us and say, hey, can you assist with this? Can you set up a camera? So rather than bringing a whole staff in, I'd be like, I'll do it myself, a couple hundred dollars, just cover costs. And they know that they've purchased a service. I don't feel like I'm paying that or having them pay out that full, like, full price of what a live stream would be. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it provides an opportunity for the, fa- the families of the loved ones to still see and be a part of where they couldn't. Um, in turn, a lot, of, a lot of churches would try to do live events or live services every Sunday. They didn't have the understanding or the knowledge. So there was three or four of them that I just donated the time to show up and say, hey, this is how you do it. This is what you need to do. Hmm. Here's a list of some equipment that you should get to help you out. You, know, you should get this camera. It's pretty low end, but it'll do the job. You know, This is how you use Zoom. And it's that that community outreach to help them to establish what they need. And they remember that. You mm-hmm. know, the congregation's like, oh, I know that name. I've heard that name. I see that person. And it comes around. And yeah. thankfully, uh, organically, being part of the community to support them for what they need, in turn, they're coming back and supporting us. So. And where does, so you talk about the, you know, the live streaming and, and those sorts of video things. I mean, obviously... Um, you know, you can produce, you can, you know, give a, a video to somebody and they can watch it and that sort of thing. But if you are, is there a way for the public to watch um, oh, anything absolutely. that you've, that you've produced and how do they do that? Yeah, we've got, uh, actually, we, we set up a Roku channel and oh. we, we designed that all on our own. It's actually through our uh, live streaming service of Vimeo. Mm-hmm. They give you a lot of tools to help you build what you need to self-promote. Yeah. Um, taking some of my web development skills and my analytical thinking and mm-hmm. uh, doing more with less because that's kind of how we bootstrap everything up there. We, uh, we've established ourselves with our, our website. We've got, you know, we're just launching our, we've had it for years, but I'm still not really accustomed to using YouTube. I, I feel like it's mostly a lot of junk that's thrown in there, a lot of ads. The algorithm isn't <laughs> very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use Vimeo for all, all of our live stream stuff, and it's an ad-free platform that allows creators to be creators, which is why we gravitated toward it. But we're starting to use the YouTube platform. We, li- we live stream to Facebook, um, our own website at stream.flume.com, mm. and then to the Roku channel, which is under Flumestream Entertainment Network. But it's, it's all free for fans, families, friends, followers, anybody that wants to watch any of the stuff that we've done. So we do um, not only just the live sports stuff, but we do community outreach stuff. There was a local martial arts studio that wanted to still do classes and oh. give to the students during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. in the early stages, 
um, we would set up and he, the instructor, the sensei, brought in one individual. So he had a, a counterpart to mm -hmm. demonstrate. And we set up a live stream for the kids. Like we're talking six to 10 year olds in their living rooms watching on Facebook or uh, on our live stream page to still maintain their Saturday morning class that they were used to doing. So there was cool. some normalcy that we helped to provide for that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you're, the normalcy, the opportunity um, yeah. within that. So um, I want to dig into something real, that we, uh, you, you mentioned, of course, um, some of your clients and what they were up, up against during the pandemic. Um, what were you up against during the pandemic? I mean, you, you're obviously, you know, getting some additional work from because of these needs, but um, how did that affect your business? You mentioned, I think earlier um, that people weren't, go, you know, wanting to do their website or do traditional, you know, right. uh, really pushing traditional marketing. So what did that do to the business model? Well, it was difficult because it's always in flux because we've got so many touch points for people to utilize our services, whether it's, like I said, video, web development, social media. You said at the top of the list, and mm. there's tons of stuff. Nearly all of it fell away except for that live streaming. But the live streaming grew so much. We were able to maintain as best as we could yeah. with what we had. We, we closed down for about... Three months, I think it was, like about mid-June is when we started to come back online. It was very slow. Um, I would work in the office alone. Um, we had, you know, we did what we needed to to set up remote work. But for the most part, staff was only called out when we needed to for on-site stuff. Yeah. And we slowly, like everybody else, hobbled back into what we needed. And then as um, the lights came back on, so to speak, we started with fall sports and we covered what we could. And we did our, you know, soccer season. It was a little bit limited. And then um, basketball was very difficult because there was only um, a lot of our opportunities for filming within gymnasiums mm. were truncated because there was only enough space or um, viable room for one production crew to, to cover. And yeah. a lot of the schools wanted to make sure that every game was covered. So there's a lot of competition in the live sports space. Oh, okay. So... There were other companies that were able to come in and basically stake claim, you know, go Wild West <laughs> and, and say, this is our school. So we had to kind of be nimble with where we could go. And we were selective and chose what we could, um, knew the schools well enough that we could choose. Um, still, again, starting to bring back online a couple of web design clients or okay. a couple of design clients. But overall, it was very much uh, a a, a day at a time process. Thankfully, we were able to take advantage of some of the funds that came out through the government that, mm -hmm. that helped us to move along to keep that needle pushing. But then as more and more stuff came back online, we were able to kind of spread those wings and bring more of our opportunities back online. And here we are now, we're moving stronger and bigger than we have before. Nice. We'll be right back with Chad Fillion. Skyterra is one of the nation's top 50 Microsoft Cloud Solutions provider, and we're proud to be headquartered right here in New Hampshire. Please visit us at www.skyterratech.com to see how we help companies with their IT needs so they can concentrate on their business. All right, we're back with Chad Fillion, owner of Flume Media. Um, 
Chad, I want to uh, maybe uh, you know go in the in Matt's wayback machine. He always brings the <laughs> wayback machine here to the podcast. So um, you mentioned artist management as part of Flume right. originally. Um, you were in a band, is that right? Yeah. All right. Ago. So tell us about Chad when he was in a band, maybe on the seacoast. What? Who were you? What were you doing as a young guy? Oh, geez. besides making trouble yeah. and music. This is, this is still G rated, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe PG, <laughs> but that's I mean, all right. It's it's funny, but it's it's a worthwhile topic because it brings into one of our touch points that I think is is prevalent. And we're recording this right now in September, which is uh, recovery month. Um, I was your quintessential college band drinker, user, abuser. Mm-hmm. And I was I was a funny guy. I had fun. I, w- I was always smiling. I wasn't really reckless in too many ways, mm-hmm. um, perhaps with my own health and not necessarily others. But you know, if you picture the long-haired hippie that'd go to a dead show, yeah. that was me. Oh, wow. Um, and the band was even more of a wreck. It was <laughs> it was built it was built out of Bob's Clam Hunt. Um, it was myself, uh, a good friend of mine, Matt, a good friend of mine, Rob, and a good friend of mine, Troy. And um, you want to talk full gamut. It was myself who was a, a deadhead and a fish head. So I was the acoustic rhythm guitarist. And Troy comes from the dream theater, a little bit more psychedelic prog rock, and he was our fill-in electric lead guitarist. (laughs) But Rob really enjoyed the hand drums and the bongos and the percussion, so he added a little reggae element. (laughs) But the winner of all was the, the gentleman that would never use the brushes even though he was told to many a times, was our heavy metal sepultura rock hammer down drummer, Matt. <laughs> so we would show God. up for these open bikes and it was just this just mess. And but it was fun. We were mm-hmm. there, we were creating, we were just being goofballs. We were creating live music. I, I would write the music and and the, the lyrics. It was just about getting out there and being creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the name of the band was Snowboat Flume. <laughs> and, and it was just again a nonsensical with with four penguin esque chili willy type characters that oh were representational God. of the four of us and um, it, much <laughs> like the music it made no sense but we were having fun we were just four guys from from uh, from a local eatery that enjoyed playing music together and getting together and hanging out but from that became that love of pushing the limits of what could be done. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I eventually went on to school, um, got a degree in animation and video production. Didn't use either of them because I still had those scars of my youth. I didn't stay focused. And, uh, you know, life brings us where we're supposed to be in the yeah. long run. But eventually uh, I got into recovery 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And over the last handful of years, we've been able to adopt the recovery-friendly workplace. I was going to ask you about that, so tell us a little bit about that. We were one of the first in the North Country to adopt recovery-friendly workplace. Mm -hmm. It's a a program that was enacted by Governor Sununu a handful of years ago, and the idea is that it removes the stigma from the workplace that's associated with drug and alcohol recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have an individual that comes in hungover or just not with in their right mind, mm-hmm. chances are they're going to have a visit with HR, which could be a, a reprimand or some level of you know bad tagging. Yeah, there's going to be in talking about other staff about whether they're a good worker or not. RFW removes all of that stigma. We understand as workplaces that people come to where they are through 
a lifelong journey, and sometimes those journeys are rough. It's not our job to judge. It's our job to help. Mm-hmm. And that's what recovery-friendly workplace is all about. We, we assist where we can to provide the resources and the recovery, as in the name, the recovery-friendly location mm-hmm. where they know that they're safe to come in and be like, you know what, I'm not feeling of myself. Can I get some help? Yeah. Um, and they it, provided some, to get that certification, yeah. there was some training and, and the, some yeah, resources provided. There are, yeah. there are a lot of resources that are available, and I believe it's recoveryfriendlyworkplace.org, yeah. um, but uh, any any Google will find you there. Um, you can bing it if anybody really does that. Who would uh, do that? No. <laughs> but no, it, it's a great program, and I really encourage all uh, workplaces to really consider that within their HR programs, because it really does keep in mind that people are human, and they make mistakes, and yeah, there's a safety concern if you're working with machinery or, you know, but for the most part, there's a human element that the reason why people are in some form of recovery is they're trying to get better. Mm. Or if they're in some side of some world of hurt or pain or addiction, there's something underlying that mm-hmm. that's causing it. So it, it's our job as a community to get to the root of those problems, to try to help those around us to bring them up instead of pushing them down. And uh, whether it means providing them a job, placing them in front of service, or even you know just having a nice conversation yeah. with them and saying, hey, look, you know, I get it. You're, you're under the influence right now. Do you feel like you have to be to perform? Or is this something that you just don't know how to not do? Mm. And, and then it's you those conversations they open the door. Yeah, and you can guide them to again exactly. resources and, and things like that. Exactly. So that's that's awesome. So first of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. And um and yeah, I think it's I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it was definitely something we were gonna dig into a little right. bit more. But um, it's a it's a great thing for anybody to consider, any no, business really to consider, um, and it just makes sense, really. And it helps to soften that stigma in society around recovery, and you know, it, it's okay to not be okay. You know, just ask for help where needed, or even just look for it on your own and try to find your own path. And if you make a mistake, get up and try again. You know. So for our business listeners, I also want to tap into some of your expertise. So during the pandemic, obviously, events came to a screeching halt, Mm -hmm. at least live, and many people went virtual. Um, And we all experienced or suffered through varying degrees of success of this experiment. (laughs) You know, there were some that managed to be dynamic and others that were painfully static and just poor quality. So, but it's not going away. In-person's coming back, but you're seeing still a lot of hybrid events where they might be live streaming or recording. What are some of the biggest mistakes businesses make when it comes to live streaming or recording their events? And how do they need a course correct? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it is for us at Flume, one of the things that we try to do is we maintain this bar of excellence as as high as we can. And I think a lot of companies neglect to realize that when they're in a live stream or a hybrid event, they've got a lot of eyes on them that they're not necessarily seeing. And as soon as something goes digital, whether it be live or a recorded post, people are going to have that opportunity to watch it and scrutinize it in that moment mm. beyond just when you're in an auditorium for a presentation, you've, you're kind of awestruck with everything that's going on around you. Hopefully. But if you're, that's that again, yeah. <laughs> but when you're watching your living room, you've got a lot of distractions. So if the, the feed quality is anything less than the best available, 
you're going to lose your audience. So finding the ways that you can get the best of the best in those moments is what's critical. Now, that doesn't mean you got to go out and spend thousands of dollars on equipment. And it doesn't mean you need to hire somebody that'll have that level. You just need to think on that level. And I, what I mean by that is, is take the moment to really look at what does your presentation look like? Are you doing the best you can? Are you just throwing up graphics that when they go live, they become all stretched and gross? Is it muddy at a smaller screen level so that people can't read it? Because if you're doing any of these mistakes, you're doing a disservice. People are going to tune out and then they're going to remember the bad experience more so than if it was the fantastic experience. Um, if you go to a great restaurant, you're going to talk to a couple of friends about how delicious it was or how good the ambiance was. If you go to a restaurant that you got raw chicken, you're going to tell everybody. <laughs> about the raw chicken. Yeah. I mean, there was, it was a thing that we used to say about people eating with their eyes. It's all about presentation. Mm. And I think it's the same for a live event that's in a hybrid format in that people are going to judge you more so on what it looks like than the actual content you're delivering sometimes. It may be the best speaker. It may be the best audio. But if the visuals are junk, people will be like, eh. But I bet you anything, if you lean into that room and ask Mike, people will forgive bad video. They'll never forgive bad audio. <laughs> never forgive bad audio. If you can't hear it, what's the point? Right. Or, or if it's or if it's mud, if there's a cricket in the room, you never know what could be charged this this people to be like, ah, oh, I can't distance. So you got bad cables. Yeah, I mean, it, you really got to look at it from that production side and run those tests and try it out. So those are some of the the production level mistakes. As as far as the actual distribution mistakes. I think a lot of times people try to pigeonhole into the wrong areas. Like they'll try to push everything to all levels, and they become in contest with themselves. They segregate their own audience. Picking a format, picking a, uh, a distribution channel, and moving that out into one and getting that audience there. And then slowly, based on demographics and the desire to grow in other areas, then you can start going to others. For us, we haven't touched TikTok at all. It's not our audience yet. So we're not going to spend the time to develop that content for the very few viewers that we have. Our demographics are the, the adult parents, grandparents for the children of the athletes. Yeah. A lot of them are the, the local business owners that are watching for these um, presentations or annual meetings for these other events and so forth. So we don't need to spend the time on TikTok. Is it a, is it a lost location? Perhaps. But I think that the viewership share that we're missing out on is fractional in comparison to where we should be focusing in other areas. So, yeah. you um, So one platform that you certainly are on and one of your um, products, if you will, or services rather, um, is on is Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, and that the one big focus for you there is North Country Local. Yes. Um, and that's an entity that you purchased to, to move along. Can you kind of explain what that is or what the premise of North Country Local certainly, is? Certainly, yeah. A good friend of mine um, started that a handful of years ago. And when Josh, uh, Josh actually switched from what he was doing, he had a, a calling. Um, I'll let you bring him on as a guest because that, that's <laughs> a whole. feeding us yeah. guests, Chad. Thank you. Um, anyways, jo Josh is a psychic medium and yeah. is, is true as true as they come. For any non-believer, 
look him up, test it for yourself. Um, I like to call him, he's six foot three. He's like a, he's a leprechaun. He'll find 2000 plus four leaf clovers in a summer. It's they, they pop up out of the ground for him. No lie. Anyways, Josh had a dream. I had talked to him about the idea of him combining his North country local with flu media and us Mm -hmm. working together. Mm -hmm. He liked the idea. It never came to fruition, but he reached out to me and said, Chad, I had a dream. My ancestor says, I have to sell you North Country Local. We need to talk. Oh, within, wow. <laughs> within two or three weeks, I had purchased it. Wow. <laughs> um, so he, he had moved on with his calling, but it left us with an opportunity to really reach Main Street for the first time at a price point that North Country businesses mm-hmm. could start to marketing. Mm-hmm. When you start talking video, you're talking four digits very, very easily when you start talking mm-hmm. about producing and, and getting content out there. That's that's a non-starter for a lot of these Main Street companies. That They're boutique shops, that they're open five days a week. They're, they're mother's hours. They're, they're trying to do what they can to survive. Mm. And they want to market. They don't know how. Enter North Country Local. Yeah. So the way Josh set it up is it's a $50 giveaway to local businesses. And as a Facebook fan or follower, you simply go to North Country Local on Facebook, mm. facebook.com, North Country Local, or the .com site that we have. And you simply leave a comment about whatever we post. So an example, um, if we put out a, um, a post for a pizza place and the, the question of the day for that pizza, pa- pizza place post, that's oh, the wrong one wow. to do for on radio. Pa, 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 pa. Go ahead. Um, the going. pizza location, <laughs> I'm going to throw that in there. Um, what's your favorite pizza topping? If Matt enters pineapple, He's automatically He's entered. wrong. If you enter, <laughs> Very if wrong. you meant to enter in sausage, yeah. you're automatically entered. Thank and you. then we'll do a drawing randomly of everybody that entered, and they'll win a fifty dollars gift certificate to that location. For the business side, a business gets that paid listing. They have to donate the fifty dollars gift certificate. They pay seventy five dollars for this targeted post. But we get upwards of six to eight thousand dollars, six to eight thousand engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, seven hundred wow. likes, uh, four hundred comments on some of these posts. Mm-hmm. It's exorbitant amount. When we've got like fifteen thousand followers, some of these businesses that are just starting out have three or four hundred yeah. followers. Yeah. Well, against Facebook, you're not supposed to say, "Hey, like this to get an entry." But we encourage, "Hey, why not like this page?" We've had customers that have come out of North Country Local. They start out with two or 300 followers. Mm-hmm. They do their three-month ad campaign, and they end up with 900. We can't say we gave them all, but we can sure as hell say that we put a lot of eyes on their brand. Yeah. And it really helps them grow on that main street. Yeah. It's also a foot in the door for us. Uh-huh. And what we get to do is we work with them, and we say, hey, I noticed that your Facebook doesn't have a lot of really original graphics. Hey. I noticed that you don't have a website. Hey, I noticed that you don't have a really good video presence. Mm-hmm. And hey, as a boutique marketing firm. <laughs> we are able to really shoulder to shoulder help yeah. them grow their business. That's great. And it's been great. Um, we run a contest each year. This year will be our third annual holiday hunt. And this is where we get to actually play around with um, myself and our other web developer and our office coordinator. Uh, we really sit down and we, we have a right brain meeting where we just think as big as we can. Mm. And then we have to, after Blue Sky, we bring it back down to reality. But we use North Country Local as our sandbox. And we play 
all day with the North Country Local brand as an expose of what Flume Media can do for your company. So we create these elaborate online campaigns through North Country Local. And when somebody says, wow, who did that? Oh, that was us. We did that. So you follow North Country Local, you log into our website, northcountrylocal.com, and you become a fan and follower and you get a profile. Cool. For the holiday hunt, we asked people to go and take a selfie in front of a hidden tree that we printed up. We've got a whole ad campaign last year. And they take a selfie and they upload it on their site. And the process is when they upload that tree and we, yep, that's an entry, they get the little present that they open. They open that present and they get their own little tree to decorate. And through a whole gamification process, mm-hmm. we instill points on their part and we in, introduce badges and we, we build the whole thing for them to turn this engagement process for uploading these images of local businesses. Yeah. They go to the businesses, they, you know, do the whole selfie thing. In the end, after we've got all these entries, we give away um, 10 gift baskets worth about $500 a piece oh, wow. with local donations of gift cards, T-shirts, food products, all these things that these businesses donate. Mm-hmm. So we have 10 lucky winners that walk away with these ginormous gift baskets right before a holiday and it's just, it's a great opportunity. Last year, we gave about $8,000 worth away from, from that whole process. We're doing it again this year. And it's a way for us to market these small businesses and give to the fans. And it's a win-win because it also puts a spotlight on what we're able to do for small businesses. So it sounds like, to use corporate speak, you used you create a lot of great synergy with this acquisition that you had. So where do you go to next? What are your plans moving forward for this company and, and where do you hope to take it? Well, as we continue to grow, um, we are now embarking on our expansion of live sports coverage. And we've been up in the North Country, north of the three notches. And there's only a handful of schools that are up there. And we decided there's an entire state below us. So we're working locally with... Um, schools down here in the Seacoast Capital Region to start doing live coverage of those games. Oh, great. But instead of just showing up and doing, we're using some of our connections. We're mm-hmm. reaching out. And I, so I've spoken to folks at Pickerton Academy, Portsmouth High School, and said, hey, I'm sure that there's a work-based learning opportunity here or an ELO for mm. some of your students. So we've got an intern from Portsmouth High School that's working with us now, and he's doing stuff on site there in Portsmouth, working with their athletic team. And then when we show up to cover a Portsmouth game, he's going to help us with our coverage. We're working with the Pinkerton Academy um, Career and Technical Center. I've got a speaking engagement to introduce what we do, much like this here, to Mm. their students. Nice. In the hopes that it builds that little pocket of interest there. And we're going to continue to do that with the schools that we have in the region to help build a workforce but more importantly, build a desire for this type of work because short of living within the Manchester region or you know Bedford or whatnot, where you have an actual bustling community where people can go and do all this, you know, like city-like, you know, Woodsville doesn't necessarily have this. Colebrook doesn't necessarily have that. It's mm. a very rural community. So by reaching out and giving these students opportunities to grow, 
it gives them a chance to actually see what's out there before they actually jump off that pier and go into college for nice, it. Nice, nice. So, but yeah, as we continue to grow, we've added more cameras. We're doing six live cameras for games right now, um, two announcers. Um, we're doing live stats and production. We've got, uh, actually, we're, we're, inter- we're, we're different from some of the other um, competitors in that we actually created a proprietary scoring system that we can... Um, similar to NCAA or um, professional sports, we take you know 300 plus data points on players and the scoring and stats and information live in game. Nice and feed it right to the screen for the wow. viewers. So if you know so and so scores, we can tell you, you know, their what grade, their number, their full name, the scoring for the year, what they've done. You know if it's baseball, their on base percentages wow. and their slugging and. It would take, you know, the sabermetrics idea, that money ball idea, and putting it into stats at a high school level. Yeah. And some of the people that are seeing this, like, this is unheard of. It's Why amazing. are you doing this for high school? Yeah. <laughs> well, because we can. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the answer. Exactly. We do it because we can. Nice. But the family, the fans, they all love it. And we're we're excited to be doing it. So we got a, a full schedule up there, stream.fluent.com with cool. all of our games and everything. So Very it's, cool. it's really exciting. Yes, it is. Um, so thank you again, Chad Fillion is owner and founder of Flu Media. He's a community champion, a small business champion, an all around good guy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And now the buzz. All right, Matt, I read a Wall Street Journal article recently, yes. uh, which I um, kind of wholeheartedly disagree with. But oh. Let me run you through this. It's, right. it's entitled The Slow Death of Traditional Business Cards, of which I completely disagree with. But they, they feature this guy, Derek Peterson, whose business card is truly always in hand. Okay, he The, the chief technology off, uh, at Boingo Wireless had a chip inserted no. between his left thumb and his index finger that carries his contact information and new acquaintances can use their phone to download the details. What? I don't <laughs> want to be chipped like my dog. No, no. exactly. No. Oh my God. Not to mention what happens when something goes wrong with that and you have your old company's contact information well, on supposedly. it. Supposedly. So it comes, the technology comes from this company called dangerous things, um, uh-huh. which they could have maybe picked a, better name for things that like are inserted in your body Uh, could be it's a human implant uh, technology company um and they used a syringe but so you basically can um uh you can update the information online there's some sort of element of it right so and then the person you know scanning or or however they get the information but you have to have that person has to have an app or have to has the ability to scan that thing in your hand right so there goes a whole bunch of people who like am i going to download an app so i can get your contact information in the middle of a conversation at a networking event or a meeting no that's going to go one or two ways. Right. Someone's either going to be, that's so cool. Yeah. And it starts a whole conversation. Right, of course. Or they're going to be like, really? Okay. Oh, great. Oh, my goodness. Have you Is tried that shrimp the, over there? Have you tried the cheese? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they, they go on to talk about like how it's a post-paper world. I'm like, Hold on a minute. We may not print things as much as we used to, but there is absolutely a, a point, a reason to have a business card. 
right? Like you go to an event. What do you do? You pass out your business card. It's and then you can look at that later. I know I do this at networking events or conferences. You get all these business cards and you're like, oh, that was this guy. And I remember seeing this card and I liked it. And I talked to him. That's that gray haired guy from over there or whatever. Um, Or you write something on the card so that later on you can follow up with them and you kind of know who they are. Can I do that if I have a QR code on my phone or a chip in my hand? No. So that's why I'm like, I don't agree with this. They, they're a little bit poo-poo on the whole. Like, it's all about technology and no business card in your hand. I'm a little torn on it. I mean, okay. on the one hand, okay. yes. I mean, the exchange of business cards, it's a, you know, a great tradition that sure. goes back many, many years. They, at some point, they do become a pain, mm-hmm. you know. It, okay. I'm trying not to lose it before I actually get to referring to it <laughs> or it's been foisted on me and yeah. I don't really want it. Now I have to feel guilty that I'm throwing this thing out yep. or I'm putting it into a random pile yeah. as opposed to if like, you know, you transfer from phone to phone. Mm-hmm. It's, I gotcha. it's already in there. You got your contact information. Yeah. You're not going to lose it. Or mm-hmm. if you want to lose it, you can delete it really easily. So I'm a little torn, you okay. know? All I right. mean, Well, so here's an alternative too. And they talk about this as, you know, you could have a card with a QR code on it, right? And everybody can scan a QR yeah. code. And that either would go to like a digital card or to a website See, or I think that that's sort of smart. thing. That's cool, right? Because everyone's got a phone, Lord knows. And then you don't lose that card, right. which is pretty which is pretty neat, I guess. But there is something too about that that passing the card and that there is personal touch, I guess. Yeah. But we may be old fuddy duddies. Maybe we are. I maybe, you know, as I hit forty, I become an old fuddy duddy. <laughs> I you know, I think the nineties were just ten years ago, so it is what it is. Hey. And maybe you just, you know, put into your Rolodex. I, I yeah, man. <laughs> you know, everybody's gotta have a Rolodex because you never know when you're gonna lose all those contacts. Them they're electronic contacts. Anyway. Well, that's what we're buzzing about this week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a production of Granite Media Group.